Let me pray. Father, we are so grateful this morning for our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we know that without him, we would be condemned by you. We know that as John has said in the gospel that the wrath of God abides on those who do not believe in the Son. And Lord, if Jesus hadn't come, we couldn't believe, but we thank you that you have sent him and that you have caused our hearts to embrace him. And we thank you that he is our Redeemer. And Lord, we pray that as we look more into the glories of our salvation and the glories of your great gospel, we pray uh, that you would use this message to cause our hearts to love you more, that we would um, be changed into your image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Grace Community Bible Church, each one of you, brothers and sisters, are precious to God. And if something is precious, you want to guard and protect what is precious. If you have some item that you own, maybe... um, You want to guard it. You want to protect it from it being stolen, from it being damaged or destroyed. And one of the most important ways we can protect, we can guard our church is by teaching that is based upon God's word. Teaching is is so important. Teaching and preaching is important because because what we teach and preach matters. Doctrine matters. Ideas have consequences. And and, and if you're ever unsure about that, just look what happened almost 100 years ago in Europe with Hitler and the ideas that he had. Ideas have consequences. Doctrine has consequences. Doctrine matters. It matters, and so our teaching matters a great deal. Yet, sadly, we live in a time period. We live in a day when the church of Jesus Christ is is plagued by unbiblical teaching. Teaching that is not based upon God's Word. More specifically, we live in a time period, we live in an age, we live in a church culture as it were, the church at large, a church that is confused in its teaching. And particularly, they're confused in in understanding the law and the gospel. There's so much confusion about the gospel and about God's law. And this problem, this confusion, isn't 
isn't just new to us. Oh, it exists here and today and, and maybe like never before, but it's not anything new. It's not anything new. As you know, error tends to repeat itself. It tends to cycle around. And we see this problem in the very earliest church. Right? We see this in the first century church, not just in the 21st century. It was a problem for this church in Ephesus that Paul was writing to Timothy about. So if you're not there, why don't you open back up with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1, and we're going to focus Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Let me read this again as we seek to unpack this message this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse, or excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 3. As I urged you, Timothy, he's writing to Timothy, upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus, Timothy, so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor... In this teaching, he's saying, to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies, which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. For some men, straying from these things, have turned aside to fruitless discussion, wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, realizing the fact that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious. For the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. In essence... The problem here that Paul was addressing is that these teachers in the church of Ephesus were failing to teach the law and the gospel properly. That was their problem. And so, as I said last time, several weeks ago now, the purpose of the book of 1 Timothy, why it has been given to us, is it's been given to us to know how we, as a church, are to be shaped by the gospel of Jesus Christ. How does the gospel shape a church? How should the gospel shape a church? How should we as Grace Community Bible Church be shaped by the gospel? And the first way we learn that the church should be shaped by the gospel is with our teaching. Paul begins this way for a reason. Because as I already stated, teaching is so important. And so let me put in essence, the, the sermon in a nutshell this morning. Here it is. A gospel-shaped church teaches the law and gospel properly. 
A gospel-shaped church teaches the law and gospel properly. Or, if you want to personalize it a little bit more, you could say it like this. A gospel-shaped Christian, you and I teach, are to teach the law and the gospel properly. That's, that's really the main message that Paul is writing here to Timothy for the church in Ephesus and by extension us. And so what I want to do this morning is I simply want to unpack this main message. I want to show you how the gospel is used and the law are used improperly. And then I want to show you the proper use. And then we're going to circle back and we're going to connect this to the gospel and how the gospel shapes the church. Now, as I studied this, in the last several weeks, as I dug into this passage, um, there's a lot of debate here about what exactly this false teaching is uh, that is happening in the church of Ephesus. Uh, the teaching, if you look in verse 4, it's called strange, at the end of verse 3, it's called strange doctrines. That's how Paul describes it. That's really all we have. Um, we also see here they were paying attention to myths and endless genealogies. And we could speculate, and the scholars do speculate, you know, the exact nature of this false teaching in the church of Ephesus. But what we do know for sure is that this false teaching fundamentally misused the law. It, 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 it says that, in fact, these teachers did not know what they were talking about, Paul says. Look at verse 7. He says they were wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they, they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they are making confident assertions. And so there are these teachers probably the elders, probably the pastors, maybe some lay people in the church that were teaching a message that is contrary to the Scripture. And in contrast to this message, in contrast to this misuse of the law, we are told the proper use of the law, right? If there's an improper use, there's got to be a proper use. Look what he says in verse 8. He says, we know that the law is good, if one uses it lawfully or if one uses it properly. So the problem is not the law. The law of God is, is good. It's, it's beautiful. It's right and holy. The problem is when we misuse the law of God, when we don't teach it properly. And this is fundamental to the problem in Ephesus with these false teachers. Now, we're not in Ephesus we're in Lakeville, Minnesota. We're in Grace Community Bible Church. So how do we misuse the law? How is it misused in our day? Maybe in our church. Maybe in our area. Maybe in our country. How is the law misused? Let me give you two examples that I thought of. Two examples, very common today, of misusing the law. And this is super common, and this is so important, because teaching matters, as I've said. So the first example, I'll call it, mis, or I'll call it minimizing the law. Minimizing the law. And so the message that, that goes out 
one of the one of the examples as it were of the message that goes out that minimize the law is a message like this god accepts me the way i am have you ever heard that have you ever heard that message today god accepts me the way i am now here's what i want to say about that message about that teaching in one sense it is true that God's love for me, as has been prayed, has, has been sung, God's love for us, God's love for you is, is not based upon your qualifications. It's not based upon your ability to clean up your life or to keep it clean. Like your acceptance with God is based upon Christ and, and him alone. Simply by faith in him. The problem, however, with God accepts me the way I am, is, is, it, is it so misleading? And we can hear that message and we can be led astray. We can be led off course. Rather, I think if we would sort of take that message and adopt it to what the Bible actually says, is the truth is, is that God accepts me not the way I am. God accepts me despite the way I am. That's how God accepts us because he accepts us in Christ and for Christ's sake. So the message of God accepts me the way I am, that message can be, can be misleading because if you think about it, that message can, can really lead to this idea that God is just accepts me the way I am and there is no repentance that I need to, to do for my sin. I am the way I am and God accepts me that way. You see, you see how that's misleading? The problem is, is that God never leaves you if he saves you, if he changes you, if he brings you into faith, he never leaves you where he found you. He's always changing you and me. He's always conforming us into the image of his son. The point, the, the point, I don't want you to get hung up so much on this idea that I've tossed out there about God accepts me the way I am. I'm using that as an example of teaching that ultimately misuses the law. Why? Because it minimizes the law. It says God accepts me the way I am and I don't need to change. I can just be who I am. But that's not, that's not a proper use of God's law. That's, that's minimizing God's law. The second example that, and, and really it's, it's a category that we could say of, of misusing the law, is what I will call misappropriating the law. So another M, not to confuse you, but we just talked about minimizing the law, and now we want to talk about misappropriating the law. So how is that done? How is that done? Well, we see that today very commonly when, when the message in churches go out and the message, what you hear, is nothing more than a how to do this. 
right? Have you heard those type of messages? Um, so it's, it's something like this. Um, seven steps for a better you. Or, or five ways to get your kids to do what you want them to do. Now, I want that message, right? I mean, who doesn't want to hear that, right? But that's ultimately not what we need. That's that's misusing the law, or we could go on and on. How to grow a church, how to have a better marriage, how to become the leader God wants you to be, and on and on and on and on. Now, the problem is, the problem with this message is what it does is it expects too much of the law. Why? Because it's putting the onus on, you just simply got to follow these formulas, you got to follow these strategies, you got to follow these seven things, and then, then out comes the outcome of a better marriage or better behaved kids or whatever it is. But, but we can't ultimately change our kids, our marriage, ourselves even, right? We need the power of the gospel to do that for us. Only God, through his spirit, can change us. And this this message that misappropriates the law, I've heard it called, perhaps you've heard it called, and, and what it really amounts to, what it really boils down to, is nothing more than what's been called moralistic, therapeutic deism, And so the message of Christianity becomes nothing more than another self-help manual. Another how-to manual. And that's not the message of Christianity at all. It's a misuse of the law. That's if you really think about it, and I'm trying to help you to think about it, it really comes down to a misuse of the law. And this is happening today. We hear this message today, all the time. And there's so many other examples we can give, but I don't want to keep you here all afternoon, right? We could talk about example after example after example. My point is to help you to see that the law is often misused. It was misused in the church of Ephesus. Paul calls it out clearly, but it's also being misused today in our world. And this is why some wise men like a a reformer named Theodore Beza, he once said this. He said, confusion and therefore misuse of the law and gospel is one of the principal sources of the corruption in the church. And he was writing that in his time, in the 16th century, right? And this is why, in fact, Paul goes and begins this letter by urging. Do you notice what he says? Look at verse 3. He says, I urged you on my departure from Macedonia to remain on of Ephesus. Why? So that you would instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. It's so important to the Apostle Paul. It's so important for us, Grace Community Bible Church. God wants us to have teaching that is based upon a right understanding of the law and the gospel, that we would teach the law and gospel property, properly. That is what a gospel-shaped church looks like. So the question I have for you, the question I have for you is, think about your life. Think about 
And it's hard to sort of categorize these things in your life. But think about the radio programs you listen to, the blogs you read, the stuff you hear on the radio, all of that. Think about that. Does it, does it comport with a right use of the law? I don't know. You're going to have to think about that one. You're going to have to think about that. That's a question you need to be asking yourself. It's a very important question to think about. Now, if there are wrong uses of the law, there are proper uses of the law. Right? Makes sense. And this is what Paul tells us. There's a proper use of the law. This is exactly what he says in verse 8. He says, we know that the law is good, and by implication, it can be used lawfully. And then he tells us a little bit of what that looks like in verse 9. So what is the proper use of the law of God? Well, if you're going to use the law properly, you've got to understand who the law is for, who the law is made for, and who does he say the law is for in verse 9? Who is the law for in verse 9? Look at it. Look at it. The law is not made for a righteous person, but for who? For the lawless, for the rebellious. And, and he goes on and on and on, and he lists some specific areas, some specific sins, some specific examples. Right? The law is not for the righteous. The law is for the unrighteous. And so, traditionally, historically, in the church, we have talked about, based upon this and other teaching of Scripture, we have talked about two right ways to use the law, two proper uses of the law. And perhaps you've heard of these. Let me mention them. First, the law is a curb. The law is a curb, and I'm going to explain that. And second, the law is a mirror. The law is a mirror. So it's a curb and a mirror. So it's a curb. So let me give you an example of what I mean by that. Um, a speed limit sign, right? Speed limit sign is a law. And as a law, as that speed limit sign, what does it do? It, it curbs, or we could say it restrains your law breaking. It, it restrains you from, from going too fast, right? From driving 70 in, in a 55 or whatever, right? This is what Paul says in verse 9. The law acts right? Not for the righteous person, but for those who are unrighteous. So like a speed limit sign, the law curbs sin. It curbs immorality. It curbs bad behavior. But does that work? Yes, yeah, sometimes. But it's not 100% effective, is it? I mean, do you break the speed limit? Five miles an hour over, okay, right? But 10, no, that's breaking the law, right? Do you break the speed limit? Of course, sometimes we do. Right? Of course. So, so here's where the second use of the law comes in. The law is a mirror. Now, what does a mirror do? A mirror, a mirror helps you to see something for what it truly is. Right? I don't like mirrors most of the time, especially in the morning. Don't like what I see. <laughs> right? But a, a mirror shows me who I really am, whether I like it or not just like a speed limit sign, right? If I drive too fast, that speed limit sign tells me, you know what? You are breaking the law. It acts like a mirror. You've broken the law. It convicts me. And maybe I get away with it. Maybe I get busted, 
But it tells me, you know, you are a lawbreaker. You have broken the speed limit. And Paul, Paul goes on to say how we have broken the law. Look at verse 9 again. I want to go through this. The law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers for murderers, and immoral men, and homosexuals, and kidnappers, and liars, and perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. Now, many scholars think Paul uses these examples because he's sort of drawing from the Ten Commandments, right? And so you can kind of pair each one of these up to the Ten Commandments. But we have some general sins listed at, at the beginning. And, and this is not an exhaustive list, right? Because he says, he says, and whatever at the end of verse 10, and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. Now here's the truth. All of us can put ourselves in one of these categories. Right? We may not have killed our father or mother, but we certainly have been rebellious. We certainly are sinners. And what is sin? John says in his first epistle, but the violation of the law. The point is that the law is like a mirror and it shows us who we really are. And we see who we really are. We see according to the law of God that we have broken the law of God. That we are sinners. That we are not a pretty sight in God's eyes in our natural state. Now these two these two proper uses of the law, a curb and a mirror. What do they do? What do they do to you? What do they do in your heart? They, they leave you convicted, right? They should. They should leave you feeling convicted, con- feeling um, undone. I have broken the law of God. They should leave you in a position of yes. Lord, I have broken your law. And, and it should leave you sort of, sort of hanging, sort of wishing for something else, right? And that's where, you, that's where we, we cry out as Augustine prayed. Augustine prayed this. He said, he said to God, he said, God, command what you wish, but give what you command, I love that. Command what you wish, but give what you command. You see, the law demands obedience. That's what the speed limit sign does. It demands obedience, but but it can't give you that. The law can't do that for you. That's where, as I said earlier, misappropriating the law. You're trying to earn favor with God. You're trying to do certain things to gain acceptance with God. And the law was never intended to do that. And this is where the gospel enters in and how the gospel is always related to the law. How is the gospel related to the law? Well, the gospel, Paul says here, conforms, or the law conforms to the gospel. Look at verse 8. He says, We know that the law is good, if one uses it lawfully. And then he lists these sins. And now, verse 11, this law, which is 
What is it according to? It accords with or agrees with or conforms to the gospel of the blessed God which with I have been entrusted. So the law and the gospel are related to one another. How are they related to one another? Here's how, and this is so important. Write this down. The gospel is the standard with which all uses of the law must be judged. The gospel is the standard with which all uses of the law must be judged. Let let me tease that out a little more for you to help you to understand that a little better. If the gospel is the standard by which all laws must be judged, then it means, it means, if you're thinking here this morning, it means that the law and gospel can never be separated. If the gospel is the standard by which the law must be judged, the law and gospel can never be separated. What I mean by this is you can't have one without the other. Biblically, they always go together. They always go together. In other words, as we like to say, there is no good news. There is no gospel without what? Without the bad news. Right? You, you don't know the good news without the bad news. They, they can never be separated. Listen to Spurgeon on this. Spurgeon says this, There is no place on which men make greater mistakes than on the relations which exist between law and the gospel. I think he's exactly right. And, and you're thinking, I don't quite get it yet. Just hang with me. Right? Hang with me, and I, I think you're going to understand here a little bit better of why this is so important here and why I'm quoting all these brilliant minds of the past to help affirm what I'm saying. There's so many errors in church history, even today, that exist when the law and gospel are separated. That's the first implication. You can never separate the law and the gospel. The second implication is that if the gospel is the standard by which all laws must be judged, then it means the law and gospel must always be distinguished. Okay, so so the law and gospel must never be separated. They're never separated. You can't have one without the other. But we always have to distinguish between them. Okay, we always have to distinguish between them. What I mean is we can never confuse them or mix them. We always distinguish between them. So here are some distinguishing characteristics between the law and gospel. If we must distinguish between them, here are some distinguishing characteristics that distinguish the law and gospel. Let me use these sentences here. The law condemns, the gospel commends. You see that distinction? They're not separated, right? They're not separated. They go together, but they are distinguished. Or the law convicts, the gospel comforts. Or the law hurts. That's the purpose of the law. That's the right use of the law. It's not to make us better. The law hurts. The law convicts. The gospel heals. 
Or let me give you one more. The law says do. The gospel says done. Now, now I hope you stayed with me here this morning because this is not merely abstract. This is not academic. This is not theoretical. I find this so immensely helpful for my own life and for Christians that I have an opportunity to talk to. And I know this has been helpful for you in your Christian life, whether you realize it or not. Right? And here is how this is helpful. The Christian life is this, is this weird dynamic. It's this weird dynamic of simultaneously being crushed by the law. That is, recognizing, feeling, seeing your own sin... But, but simultaneously not staying there, but being comforted by the gospel. That, that, is, that is sort of the entrance into the Christian life. And that is in, in a lot of lot, real way, it is, it is the path of the Christian life. Of being crushed by the law and being comforted by the gospel. And so here is how this works itself out. Let me ask you, are you this morning, are you beating yourself up? Are you beating yourself up? Are you down on yourself because you don't feel that you're, you're good enough for God? Is, uh, is your sin weighing you down? Or, or are you perhaps doubting your salvation? Lord, Lord, how can I be a Christian when, when I don't feel like I'm making any progress here? And I know Christians are supposed to make progress. That's what we do, right? I, I just don't feel it. I don't, I don't see it. And, and, and when you think those things, when you're beating yourself up, when you start to doubt your salvation, it's a failure. It's a failure to, to use the law properly. It's what it really boils down to. Because here's the reality. You are a failure. I am a failure. That's not a popular message we hear today, is it? That's the law. That's the right use of the law. But, but we, can't, we can't appreciate, we can't come to Christ, we can't see the gospel for all glorious as it is until we see this law that we are a failure, that we can't get our act together even as believers. And so, yes, I am a failure, but you know what? It doesn't matter because Jesus is my Savior. I mean, I have this addiction and I just can't get rid of it. I have this sin that I can't fix, that I can't change. I have this habit that is that is been, been at me for, for years and years and years. Brothers and sisters, 
the Christian life. And, and Paul is going to get to this in the next section as, as we speak about this next section. But, but the Christian life is this dynamic. It's this weird dynamic of seeing yourself as a big sinner, but seeing Jesus as a bigger Savior. That's the Christian life. Otherwise, otherwise, what happens is if we don't use the law and gospel properly, right, if we don't use it properly, we start, the, the, the law ceases to become a curb and it ceases to become a mirror. And it becomes a, we- a way, a mechanism for us to, to, to please God. To become acceptable in God's sight, to appease an angry God. And that's never going to work. You're never going to appease God by who you are, by your performance, by your life. We are only accepted by faith alone, not by our works. By faith alone in what Jesus has done. And so the Christian life is a life lived. It's, it's, It's a cycle, as it were. And I've said this before, it's this cycle of, of repentance and faith in Christ. And so we go from one sin to repentance and faith to another sin to repentance and faith. And somehow, in all of that mess that we find ourselves in, God is actually growing us. He is actually conforming us to the image of Christ. And, and our call as believers is simply to live a life of repentance and faith in our glorious God. And we can only repent and believe when we understand and use the law properly. Right? So here's the point of all of this. And we could, we could dig into to other ways, implications in which you personally struggle with this law gospel thing. And, and I struggle with it. And the church at large struggles with it. And it's exactly what Paul pointed out in Ephesus. And I don't want to be a, repeating myself here, but I'm getting a little off notes, which is a little different for me. But, but history repeats itself. It just does. And so we have this teaching today. But, brothers and sisters, Grace Community Bible Church, I want us so desperately, and we need to be shaped by the gospel. And how the gospel shapes us is to have teaching that properly uses the law and gospel. Teaching that accords with the law and gospel. Now, I hope you get the main point here of the message this morning from what Paul is saying. This is a difficult sermon in one sense, It's a difficult sermon because these issues, they're they're so fundamental and the implications are so massive. I mean, in, in large reality, church history is a testimony. It's a record of a failure to understand the law and the gospel. And it began in Ephesus, we could say. Right? And, and so we want to continually go back to the scriptures to continually understand the law properly in its right use and therefore how that's related to the gospel. But it's also difficult, this message is also difficult because in one sense, 
it's sort of hard for you to relate to this here in, the, in this passage, uh, verses 3 through 11, because Paul is writing to a, a missionary companion named Timothy for a church in Ephesus, right? He's writing to these people, and do we got, this is not working? Okay. All right. Thanks, brother. We all needed a break. (laughs) Take a breath. (laughs) I'm going to take a sip of water. That was a lot for you all to take in. And so here's sort of like the so what, right? Here's the so what for you, because we have two elders here in this church, um, we have deacons, um, your leaders in a sense too, um, although your call to lead is a little bit different than the elders. But, but how can you relate to this? I mean, are you supposed to be going around, you know, telling people to stop teaching their false doctrine? I mean, is that what, what the call is here? So here, here's how I think that you can apply this to your life. Here's how I think this makes sense for you for what Paul is saying. And that is, and let me, let me give you two things, two thoughts this morning. The first is, um, your role, your role of Grace Community Bible Church, this is a church, we're all in this together. It's not just about pastors and preaching God's word, it's about all of us. And we all have a role. And one of the most important roles that you have is to affirm or deny what is being taught in this church. So I would say that's first, number one, affirm or deny what is being taught from this pulpit. How can you do this? How can you do this? Let me make this very practical. In my experience of preaching here, when I get done from preaching, as today, I walk down, sometimes I'll go to the back and shake hands, and I'll get a handful of people that will come up to me and say, great sermon. That was a good sermon today. Thank you for the sermon. And, and some of you say, you know, that sermon blessed you, it encouraged you, maybe it, it convicted you. And, and, and that feedback is so important for me or Pastor Jeff or whoever is preaching. And so let me, let me stretch you a little bit. And in addition to just saying, great sermon, maybe say, how was it a great sermon? Say, this ministered to me in this way. This spoke to me in this way. And, and if you don't do that, I'm not going to say, tell me how, <laughs> right? Um, th- that's not the point. The point is, the point is, is that your feedback is affirming the message being preached, right? And of course, ultimately, you, you, you affirm the feedback with your feet, right? You, you would leave, if the message was not being taught rightly. But, but before you would go there, I would hope also, so I also don't want to hear positive feedback. I want to hear constructive criticism. Right? I, I really do, and I know Pastor Jeff does as well. So, so telling me the sermon is, went well is, is good, and I, and I appreciate that, and that's encouraging, but, but tell me in a loving humble way, <laughs> which I should do to you as well, that, hey, you missed it, Pastor Dan. Hey, I don't think that's really what the point was. Or, or hey, I think you're, you're, you're going off here, all right? Because this is a two-way street. So though this time, though the actual sermon time is, is a monologue, right? We're not all talking right now. I'm talking, you're listening. 
it, it ends, this ends, and then it continues in a dialogue. It continues, and, and not only that, but it continues with not just you to me, you to the preacher, but it continues with one another as you sharpen one another around, around the Word of God. So that's the first way. That's the first way how you can practically apply a message like today, the gospel. Um, a gospel-shaped church is a, is a church that is shaped by teaching that conforms to the law and gospel. Second, and perhaps more importantly, whether you realize it or not, whether you like it or not, you are all teachers. And most of you aren't teaching in a formal capacity. But all of you have influence over someone, at least one person, and you're in this church. And so you have relationships in this church. And when you're opening your mouth and talking, that is, in a lot of ways, a form of teaching. You're doing teaching whether you're recognizing it or not, right? And so, more importantly, the, the, the challenge to you, the call to you is continue to make sure your teaching aligns with Scripture. And there are multiple ways to do that. There are, first of all, coming to, to the gathered meetings, studying God's Word, and on and on and on. Continuing to be students of God's Word so that you can properly teach the law and gospel properly. At the end of the day, brothers and sisters, at the end of the day, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it shapes the church. And the first way it does it is by teaching. And this is so fundamental because I want you to see what Paul says at the end of verse 11. He says, Whatever else is contrary to sound teaching, according to the gospel, the glorious gospel of the blessed God, with which I have been entrusted. And so, like something that is precious, we have been entrusted with the gospel. The precious gospel, the glorious gospel, and we must guard this gospel. We must protect this gospel through teaching that rightly divides the word of God between the law and the gospel. This is the first way the gospel shapes the church. So my prayer, and I hope your prayer, is that God would help us. Oh Lord, help us to teach your word accurately. Amen? Amen. May we always stand upon it and teach it accurately. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this portion of your word. Lord, it, a difficult passage in many ways. But I pray that you would help your people to take home something that they can noodle on, that they can think about, that would help them in their walk with you, Lord, and help all of us to see that we all play a part. We all do. This is a church. We are a body. We are a family, as we said last time, fundamentally. And so we all play a part in guarding and protecting the message, the teaching that goes out from this place. And Lord, we ask that by your grace, we would always stay faithful to your word. Oh, Lord, I confess, I confess in my life the temptation 
to want to preach a message that draws the crowds, that brings in the resources. But Lord, make me, make our pastors here to continue to teach and preach your word. Lord, and may each one of us hold us all accountable so that even when we grow old and we die off, that this church would continue to stand because it is preaching and teaching the word of God. Lord, we pray that you would do that for us by your power and your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.